You're listening to Feral Attraction. Hosted by Metrico and Vero the Science Collie. On this week's show, we open with a study that tries to answer what queer singles are looking for. Our main topic is on role-playing. We go over the do's, do-nots, and general etiquette for online and in-person role-play scenes. We close out the show with a question on how to know if you're losing interest in a mate. Hello again and welcome to Feral Attraction. I'm Metrico. And I'm Vero the Science Collie. So last year, um, there was a study done by Match.com. It was a survey. And they do this annually. And what they end up doing is they partner with um, uh, actual scientists, actual people that do research. In this case, um, Dr. Justin R. Garcia, who is an evolutionary biologist and a gender studies professor um, at Indiana University. And... What they do is they survey a large group of people, um, between five to 10,000 individuals that use their Match.com service, and they try to answer questions as to what do men like, what do women like? But in 2016, they decided to do something that they had yet to do. Um, they actually did an entire survey on what queer singles are looking for. They surveyed um, roughly around a thousand um, LGBTQ singles between the ages of 18 to 70. So, I mean, 70 plus. Like, we're talking about as wide an age range, identity range, sexuality range as you can possibly get here. I have met some queer zygotes in my day, but I think outside of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think if you're a queer zygote at that point, like you go beyond platinum gay and like you are like Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, like platinum stand gay. <laughs> like, what is this? A gay embryo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the study is called LGBTQ in America. And Match.com is touting it as the largest nationally representative study of American singles who identify as LGBTQ. And there were some findings um, that they were able to um, publish. Um, some of them was that 74% of these thousand uh, singles that were polled said that their family would support them in a same-sex marriage. Now, I looked at the data for this. I actually ended up having to subscribe in order to download it. So you're welcome. But this was not done just in, in liberal coastal cities. This was done quite nationally in the United States. I think out of everybody that was polled, I think only 2 to 3% really were in what you would consider to be a liberal haven like New York City or Seattle or Portland or Los Angeles or San Francisco. This represents a wide range of individuals. So... It's nice to see that people are more comfortable with the idea of their family knowing that they are gay and or queer in some way. One thing that I will say, though, is that the information that was published, it really didn't go as far for trans rights. Um, the, the information that was shared is that trans rights still trend drastically behind in terms of LGBTQ acceptance, especially towards families. So, you know, while gay acceptance, lesbian acceptance, bisexual acceptance 
all of these are coming to the forefront and they're being championed by families all across America, which let's be real up until a short while ago was not very gay friendly. We still have a lot of grounds to make when it comes to trans acceptance. And that's why, you know, I love all of these new movements that are coming out. Um, well, I shouldn't say coming out because, well, <laughs> um, all these new movements that, that promote trans visibility and even at the Oscars, um, the fact that people, the actresses, actors are trying their best to make trans individuals take a spotlight to show, hey, these are, you know, this isn't just us. This is everybody. And the fact that inclusivity and advocacy are being, met, you know, created and proponed, proponed, is that a word? We'll say it's a word that advocacy is really becoming like the forefront for the LGBTQ community, especially for trans rights, really makes me happy because up until a short while ago, it felt like we had essentially abandoned our trans brothers and sisters. One of the other things that uh, the application that, that, that the survey was able to find was that 52% of lesbians say they want kids compared to 36% of gay men, which I find to be pretty accurate. Um, I don't really know many gay uh, men that are cobbled and want children. They're completely fine with being a double income, no kid. That's pretty much mostly my experience as well, from especially like the furry mm -hmm. community that I know right. of for sure. And uh, finally, and this is something that, you know, I find to be a good parallel between the world at large and the furry community, is that mobile apps, mobile applications, unsurprisingly, are the new matchmakers, um, with about 56% of respondents saying that they've dated somebody they've met online. I would say within the fandom, that number is drastically higher, uh, in that percentage at least. Um, but it is nice to see that the stigma for online dating or meeting somebody that you met online, getting to know them, possibly marrying them, is becoming lesser. I mean, one of the coolest people that I know met his wife on Twitter. So that And I more or less met my husband via Twitter. So that, yeah. that's pretty much the way it works. Yep. So I mean hell, most a lot of my exes I I met on IRC, so <laughs> yikes. Um not to date myself, but and my pet, who I also live with, uh, I met online as well, and two of my other boyfriends. So you know, it's, yeah. it definitely does work. So I mean, it's I wouldn't feel within the fandom that you should be as ashamed, perhaps, of saying like, "Yeah, I met my mate on Twitter," or "Yeah, we met even on like sites like Furries Extreme or Pounced." Or I feel like that's kind of the commonplace. It's pretty much the yeah. expectation almost. Yeah, I mean, with the fandom being. You know, such a wonderful, delightful, sex-positive sort of community. I think that it's okay for us to share, like, hey, I met my mate on a sex site. and like, Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Like, I, yeah, I totally met Koji Unpounced. It's totally fine. Like, yeah. that's, not, that's not abnormal at all. Yeah, I but, mean, but, yeah. And the thing is, like, there's a furry diaspora, too, right? Like, furries are all over the place. It's a worldwide mm -hmm. thing. There are furries in Europe, there are lots of furries in Britain, there are furries in Germany, there are furries mm -hmm. in France, there are furries all over the United States. And we all meet in this community because we all mm -hmm. have this thing in common. And then, you know, that you end up dating a lot, like, a lot of long-distance relationships because also when people are meeting online and starting these online relationships that kind of turn into long-distance relationships. Mm -hmm. So, honestly, it you know creates good business for us because we get a lot of questions about that stuff, right, Metrico? <laughs> right. <laughs>
I mean, the fact that the furry fandom is in itself a liminal sort of community where people from all different places, all different walks, all different ideologies can meet and get to know one another without having these these fake walls, these false boundaries that we put up naturally as as people is really unique. And that's really what I think makes the fandom incredibly special. So while we have an answer in terms of like some of the things that, of what queer singles are looking for, you know, it, it's, it's, I'm hoping that we're able to maybe down the line, do a, what furry singles are looking for to do a survey in that, because that's something that really hasn't been answered. And as the fandom becomes larger and perhaps even more mainstream, it's important that we look inward and we see what unique topics and areas of interest that we have as a community that you're interested in looking for, especially as a single individual. Yeah, for so, sure. That'd be very fun to look, look at for the furry community, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's something that we possibly have in the works, wink, wink, hit, hint. <laughs> but we're going to move on to our main topic. So this is a topic that, and and just to kind of, I guess, not bury the lead, this is going to be a mildly shorter show. We've received a little bit of feedback that, you know, it would be nice to have a show that's under an hour. That a lot of shows that people, in terms of podcasts, listen to are 60 minutes or less. And so we wanted to experiment with that with a little bit more of a fun topic, perhaps. Something that we get asked about a lot. And something that can be presented in kind of a, I don't want to say a rapid way, but in a straightforward way without yeah. a lot of nuance. For sure. And I think this is honestly something where it's like, it comes up, it's a, it's a pretty much a free phenomenon, you know, mm -hmm. online role play and the way online role play is, you know, kind of part of the fandom. It's kind of just part of the fabric of the fandom. I think for a lot of people, mm -hmm. it's something a lot of people do, especially as they're younger coming into the furry community. I feel like it's kind yeah. of a transitional thing. As people start discovering themselves sexually, they often start with online role play these days. And right. so I think it's definitely something we should discuss and give it give it a full shake on the show, but may may not deserve a full two hour long mm -hmm. episode, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I will, however, remind our fans that the pause button is a thing, and you can actually listen to our show in multiple segments. So if our shows are too long for you, just divide them in half in your head, and then it's fine. Then you get two shows a week that way. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> you know, double the shows, double the fun, right? <laughs> Something like that. But we wanted to kind of also talk about in person role play because they're. I don't want to say they're two sides of the same coin, but they do often go hand in hand because oftentimes what you role play on the internet doesn't translate really well to the real world. And yeah, you know. but on the other hand too, oftentimes people will do, do progressions and they actually recommend, and we, we talk about that in some of our kink episodes where starting out with online role play is a great way to test out someone's kink compatibility. And then you can take that online role play into a bedroom style scene based role play as well. So it can be both ways. It's a, it's a good testing ground. People often use it that way when they're just kind of figuring themselves out and you can also use it as a testing ground and figuring out a new partner, but there is definitely a dovetailing that happens with the in-person role play as well. We'll get to that in the second half of the show. But we wanted to start with online roleplay because this is the kind of roleplay that, again, most furries are going to be experienced with. Um, I remember when I was getting started in the fandom, you know, roleplay was really kind of the gateway for me to kind of go from being a tangential, you know, fan of of literature that contained anthropomorphic animals, um, in this case, Redwall, and kind of move into the fandom actual. But 
nowadays with with I mean granted I did that back when everybody had dial up and by everybody I mean you were lucky if you had dial up and you were really lucky if you had AOL and if you had DSL you were a god. <laughs> so now that you can pretty much connect anywhere at any time with most devices um there are some new kind of nuances that happen. So with online roleplay, the question that we get most often is, like, when is it appropriate? When is it not appropriate? How do I find somebody for roleplay? That sort of thing. So when is online roleplay appropriate? Um, very briefly, you want to do it with a participant that's willing. That's kind of the first rule here. You don't want to kind of go through Twitter and just approach everybody you see and just, like, at Vera the Science Collie notices your bulge, UW. <laughs> like, you don't want to do that. I mean, we make fun of it, but the fact is, is that it does happen. A lot. Maybe, that, mm -hmm. maybe that is appropriate if you're interacting with an account that explicitly says, I, this is a furry RP account, right? Maybe then it's okay. But if you're just approaching, you know, your average stranger on Twitter or telegram or somewhere else where furries congregate like the notes of a you know fa or journal mm -hmm. or something like that you don't want to just lead with the rp right that's not really that you haven't really established a rapport that entitles you to enter into actions with that person it's kind of the same way that you know when you're, when you're at a bar you need to establish rapport with somebody before you like reach out and grab their their shoulder right you can do that affectionately mm -hmm. once you establish a rapport but if you just reached out and grabbed their shoulder out of the blue they would probably punch you in the face um, RP out of the blue is basically walking up to someone at a bar and grabbing their shoulder. It's just really not cool, right? Yeah, you don't want, I mean, like, even going further at the bar, you don't want to be like, hey, those are some nice shoes. Do you want to fuck? Because that's pretty much like what that sort of behavior is. So if you're trying to roleplay with an account that says, I don't do RP, this is a non-RP account, or one that historically does not engage in roleplay. If you look through somebody's Twitter feed and you can tell, like, this is where they post their art, maybe you don't pop up and say that sort of, you know, you don't engage with roleplay, perhaps. <laughs> now, there are some websites that do foster roleplay that you might want to go look at if that's something that you're wanting to do. You have F-List, which is really kind of the repository of kinks and like, hey, I'm into roleplay and here's what I'm into and here's some scenes and like contact me here. FList is an invaluable resource for people that are looking for roleplay and they want to find people that are interested in the same things that they're interested in. I would recommend using that over Twitter because um, it's just a more unified source of information. Now, some people might say, like, hey, if you want to roleplay, here's my Twitter. Now, let's say that you find another Twitter that they have. That doesn't mean that it's open roleplay session on that one as well. If they specify this is the Twitter that I want to do this on, follow through there. There's also, and I'm going to kind of go a little bit old school here. You have uh, mods, um, multi-user dungeons or multi-user domains. Um, Basically, text games um, that used to be really popular, furry muck, uh, tapestries, that you know are really popular for roleplay. Uh, even even things like Furcadia offer for some form of roleplaying. If you're a little bit more advanced and you don't want to deal with just like text-based descriptions or very basic-looking sprites, you can look at like Second Life. There are plenty of active roleplay 
domains there that you can engage in. And I mean, hell, it's a lot of fun if that's what you're into. For sure. There are also roleplay telegram groups that you can participate in. There's an entire list at furrytelegramgroups.org that will lead to... Just to clarify, furrytelegramgroups.org is a list of just furry telegram groups in general, and some of which are RP groups. They're not all RP groups. Um, Right. But yeah, there definitely are some (laughs) RP groups in there. (laughs) Yes, there there definitely are. I mean, maybe you don't go, like, roleplay in, like, the tech advice, like, tech furs, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> notices your phone switch Ooh. <laughs> have you tried turning it off and on again oh baby mm. i'll power cycle you give me uh, a can of burn baby oh baby <laughs> i want you i need you and then just like if i were to roleplay in that i would just open my muzzle and just modem sounds just <laughs> so hot <laughs> dial me up oh god so I, I think we've probably made some fans happy with that little diatribe oh there but Probably should be back on topic. I'm sorry. Um, The thing is, is though, you know, there are plenty of places that foster and kind of, you know, point you to the proper places that you can role play. So take advantage of them when you of those resources. You know, when is it not appropriate? Um, If you're a participant, if the individual you were interested in role playing with says no or is not willing, it's it's. You know, sexual roleplay is still kind of sexual, so don't, uh... So if somebody says no, they mean no. You need to get enthusiastic consent. Now, some, some, some Twitter accounts, some accounts will say, like, you open up with the roleplay. And in that case, you already have their consent. You don't Mm -hmm. have to, like, message them and say, hey, is it okay if I... They've already said you can. Yeah, otherwise, uh, sexually roleplaying with someone who hasn't consented to that could be interpreted as harassment, especially if you continue it after the person says no. It can be interpreted as harassment even without them saying no because you haven't established prior consent. So definitely be very careful with that. Um, it's not something you want to get into from like just even a legal standpoint. Not that I think anyone – I know of anyone ever being prosecuted for RPing unwarranted advances. But like you know, just in theory, it is kind of se- sexual harassment. It could be interpreted as such. And you mm-hmm. just don't want to make somebody feel harassed whether it's illegal or not. So don't do that. It's kind of rude. It's not cool. The other thing is you have to keep in mind the format of RP that certain people enjoy, and that's something that you need to take into account as well. Oftentimes on sites like FList that are kind of tailored to RP, and that's what they're for, uh, and I really recommend FList if you're into RP. It's a great resource, um, even if you just want to kind of figure out what you're into and stuff like that. There's so many different um, resources and kinks and lists of kinks there and stuff. It's really great. But the thing is, People often talk about there what the format they are willing to indulge is. And so if they say that they only want short messages or they only want paragraph length responses, you have to adhere to their style. They're not going to want to RP with you. And you're probably going to get blocked or told to piss off if you don't you know, respect their style. So do look to see if someone has expressed what their preference is. Uh, some people get really annoyed by strings of short messages, like if you repeatedly message over and over again with no response in between. Uh, that will annoy some people. So just try to be respectful of that. Try to try to try not to be someone who creates a burden on the other person. You just want to make sure everybody's having a good time. So try to keep the other person in mind and just be empathetic that way. Um, another thing people often have a pet peeve about, though, is if you are an English as a second language speaker or if you have other grammar issues with the way that you write, that's going to be a pet peeve for a lot of people who are into RP because it takes them kind of out of the sexual, this kind of flow of the experience if they're having trouble reading what it is that you're writing. So 
definitely. I mean, that that can be a real bummer if you really you know want to RP with somebody, but they just don't have like the language skills to on, that are on your level to to really engage with you, and that can be really not very fun. But it's just a practical practical concern. Somebody can't really help if they just aren't turned on because they're just having trouble getting through what you're writing. So that's not really something that they're not criticizing you as a person. They're just like, hey, this writing isn't conducive to me getting a boner, you know, and that's just the fact of life, you know, maybe work on your uh, English grammar a bit better and see if you can <laughs> approach again another time. Um, that's I mean, just, you have something on that, Metrico? I mean, the thing is, is that what I would recommend in cases like that is... You know, specify your comfort with the English language because we are a global fandom. There are going to be people in any language that are probably going to be interested in role playing. So, you know, there it's it's there are going to be people that on Ethelist, I do believe that they specify what languages you're comfortable in. So, do pay attention to that as well. If somebody says that they are comfortable with like English only. And if you are a French speaker primarily and you maybe are not as good at writing in English as you are at speaking, perhaps you look for somebody else that has a little bit more leniency. So at the end of the day, you want to make sure everybody feels comfortable. While you can use roleplay to improve your vocabulary and maybe your grammar, I, or, or even as a motivator, to improve, like I want to be able to roleplay with a whole bunch more people, and I don't really have the good English yet, so I'm going to work on it. You know, maybe don't use words and phrases that you pick up from roleplay. Um, I wouldn't recommend going up to your boss and being like, "I notice your bulge. What's this?" <laughs> maybe not the best idea. Yeah, don't don't, don't mur at your colleagues. I mean, I do, but I'm furry garbage. Not really. That's- I don't, but like, you know, and also make sure that, you know, kind of going back, you use the format that they're comfortable with in terms of how they communicate. If they have a personal Twitter account that they don't want you on, don't do it there. You can still follow with them and interact with them there, but don't roleplay with them there. Maybe they have a Facebook. Don't do it there. If they, you know, for affinity, maybe don't roleplay with them on their wall if they say not to. Take that shit to DM if they want. Don't go out of your way to make somebody feel uncomfortable. If somebody tells you no or tells you, I'm interested, but let's do it this other way, try to be accommodating. Or if that's something that you can't accommodate, just say, well, I'm sorry, I'm not able to do that. And then move on with your life. For sure. It's also good to know how to decline, too. So there are different ways of being able to uh, shut down kind of role play without being really... um I'd say kind of taking the person out of the comfort zone. Like if someone, you can actually do that in RP, which I actually something I do sometimes. And I, it's weird, but I find this works really well and it's really non-confrontational, but it, it totally works. Is this actually RP a leaving action? And the person will generally leave you alone. I found this works really well. I don't know why, but it totally works. So like you can say like coyly evades your advances and pads off. And then the conversation just ends and everyone's kind of knows where they stand. So that works. I've done it before. Um, but generally speaking, I think the, the correct approach I'd recommend in a majority of cases is just direct communication. We get, we preach nonviolent direct communication all the time. But, you know, you can just be straight up and say, sorry, I'm really not looking at RP. And that's all you have to say. And then at that point, if they continue, you can always block them. That's pretty much what it comes down to, right? Yeah, I mean, I actually, I don't really do RP. Um, like, I'll, I'll do, like, small things like, you know, hug or whatever. Um 
on IRC, there is a guy that I was interested in and it's, you know, we had been talking for a while and, you know, he logged in and I noticed and I'm just like, Hey, and I was younger and of course completely random. And so I just, you know, did a me action and I'm like jumps at, you know, for a hog and he's like, not really feeling up to it. Sorry. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just fall on a bunch of pillows because why the fuck not? It's the internet and I can do whatever I want. It's magic. <laughs> and role played that and he laughed and we ended up dating for three years. So, you know, if somebody declines your advances, you don't have to be a whiny little bitch about it. And it can be, you know, it can be demoralizing if people repeatedly say, no, I don't want this. No, I don't want this. The fact of the matter is, is that if somebody doesn't want to do something and they decline, just say, okay, thank you. I understand. Maybe sometime in the future and just kind of move on with your life. You don't have to sulk about it. Don't berate them. Don't harass them. If you do that, you're likely to be blocked. And in some places you can be banned from the service entirely. Well, it's also important to keep in mind that for some people, especially people who are in relationships, in certain cases, RP can be considered a form of cheating, depending on the terms of that person's relationship. And so that's another thing you should always keep in mind. If someone's declining, it might have anything to do with you, and it probably often doesn't. They might just be busy, or they might have relationship terms that tell them they can't RP with people casually in that way. So either way, don't take it personally if someone says no. It's just them not being up for it in that particular moment for whatever reason. And don't assume that it's you, because that's actually a really kind of self-defeating thing to do, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's that's a good point of etiquette to point out. There's a, there are a few other things that we'll also kind of advise on. Um, don't use somebody else's artwork or characters for your roleplay, uh, even if you modify the original artwork. So, congrats, you've changed the tattoo on the character, but it's still somebody else. Don't do that. People really dislike that. Um, it, it's, it's a form of, like, theft in a way. And also... You know, for most people that have personas, they do identify with these characters on levels that maybe you don't identify with your own. And it can be incredibly personally troubling. So avoid doing that. It can be viewed as harassment and it's just not good business. I can understand, especially if you're younger, that you don't maybe have the means to acquire art of your own. And so you just use images that you find on for Affinity or E621 or whatever you might do. And while that's an okay place to start, what I would recommend doing is there are definitely accounts that exist that have like, hey, this is art that you can use for roleplay. Find those accounts. They're a little bit more generic, perhaps, and they're not as well planned. But the fact is, is that those are free and open for you to use. So find those. There are lots of softwares and like online flash games that allow you to build your own persona. Maybe do that and have that be your template. Or just get really good with describing yourself in text. That's a really great option as well. Mm -hmm, definitely. Don't, don't impersonate somebody else. Don't use somebody else's name. Don't use somebody else's character. These are good steps to take because otherwise you open yourself up to a lot of like well-deserved criticism. Especially, the thing is, yeah. a lot of people find it really icky if you're using their character and you're doing sexual things as them. Mm -hmm. That's just a kind of icky situation. It's not really fun for them, and I totally empathize with why that would be unpleasant. So mm -hmm. try to keep that in mind. It's kind of not, it's not a cool thing to do, right? It can also be confusing. Let's say that somebody else discovers the account that you're having, that you're running with somebody else's character and like their pictures. Um, a friend of mine recently ran into a situation where somebody was using their art but role-playing their character as... 
uh, much younger. And they found that to be troubling because their mate was like, um, question, <laughs> why are you doing this? And I didn't know you were into this sort of play and we need to talk about that. So, I mean, it can be disruptive to an individual's life and it can be really embarrassing to them. So just don't do that. And don't say like art is not mine because that's kind of a cop out. Just don't use their art. It'll be okay. Trust me. You can still get your rocks off. Also saying art is not mine that has no legal effect whatsoever. It's like, yeah. it, it doesn't absolve you from responsibility for what you're doing. Just FYI, people. It would be like if I submitted an essay in college and said, like, words not mine. <laughs> it's still plagiarism. <laughs> it's still, yeah, it totally is. Yeah. <laughs> Refer back to our commissioning episode, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if somebody has that F list and they have a set of likes and dislikes, things that they say no on, stay within the parameters that they set. You know, it's good to pre-negotiate. It's good to have like, hey, I see that you're into this sort of thing, and I am too. I was wondering if maybe you would like to roleplay a scene that incorporates that. Pre-negotiation, even on the internet, even an online roleplay, is a good thing. It is a good idea. And if you pre-negotiate and you have good roleplay sessions, that tends to create long-term roleplay partnerships. So consider doing that, because it's a good idea, and it gets everybody in the right mood to where you don't have to break it halfway through and be like, are you sure you're okay with this? Totally. And like, you know, devil's advocate on that. I think it might be okay to guess at a kink the other person might be into, especially if you have a bit of rapport with them already. And you can kind of, sometimes you can kind of like, well, they're into this kink and that kink, which means they might also like this kink, kind of like the Amazon recommendation system, like <laughs> kinks they may also enjoy might include, you know? So like right. there's certain cases where kink do tend to fall in a pattern. Like, well, if they're into bondage and they're into this, they're probably into degradation. So I'm going to call them a slut and see what happens, Right. Those are kind of situations where it's like, you know, that's probably okay to, to try, but you might end up getting a, a, a bad reaction or, or at least a negative mm -hmm. reaction to that, right? So if you're guessing, you might, you might end up just totally pegging a kink and they're like, oh, I wasn't even ready to be turned on in that way, but you totally nailed it and it's really hot. Or you could get a reaction like, oh, I'm not really into that. That doesn't mean feel so great. Can we, not, can we not go that way? So, you know, if you get a reaction like, you know, they're shying away then you can try to, don't, you don't necessarily have to let everything come to a screeching halt, but definitely RP away from whatever it is that you started going towards that they don't like. You know, when you RP a kink that you're not sure the person likes, definitely make sure you keep that action very short and succinct, where you're giving them a very, a very clear escape route if they're not into whatever it is you're about to be doing, right? So introduce mm -hmm. the kink in such a way that they have a very easy way of kind of declining or sidestepping what it is you're doing, right? So for example, very innocuously calling someone, relatively innocuously calling someone a slut is a really safe and easy way of determining whether they're into being degraded, right? You don't start out with calling them like, you know, a worthless, like floor licking, you know, piece of shit or something like that. Like that's not, that's not test language you use for determining if someone's into degradation, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, that's basically what we're get, I'm getting at. You know, for, you know, another example, if you're using physical actions, like let's say URP pulls your hair while stroking your cock. And then the person RPs winces. So clearly they, that, that means they're probably not having their hair pulled, right? So you can then deflect away from what you were doing. And, but you can, keep the, you can keep it steamy. You can keep the RP going, you know? You could say something like, leans down to kiss you as your face strains itself. And then releases your hair and pulls, you know, pulls your cock instead, right? And now that person's action goes, Murr, right? Mm -hmm. So that, you've solved that situation. Good job. Go you, you know? A+. Plus. But just, yeah, if it's like they indicate they're not in the action you're doing, just take it somewhere else. It usually works just fine. 
I would say in cases like this, if you're trying to guess, try to make it as open-ended as possible. Don't do something that's kind of like, there we go. Like, don't just be like, roleplay, you know, slash me peas on you. Like, it's good to kind of dirty talk if you're like, maybe they're into water sports. Don't just be like, I pee on you. Instead, you might want to be like, I unzip my zipper. Oh boy, I'm about to pee on you. You're going to like that? And if they say no, then you're like, oh, well, I'm going to pee over here and make you watch. And then they might be like, okay, that's cool. Like, the thing is, is that you don't want to do things that are final. Like, it, it sounds very weird, but like in roleplay, you have actions that you can kind of interact with and then actions that happen to you. So yeah, exactly. You don't want to like do something to somebody even in online role play that they can't react to that they're just kind of forced to sit there and take because chances are if it is something that they really are not into and like you're just like yeah, I'm going to tie you down now and they're probably going to be like no you're not and I'm just going to leave now. So have a good day. Bye-bye now. Well, I, I will say again, I guess I'm devil's advocate colleague this episode. I'm going to push back on that too. Just speaking as someone who is as an RP dom, which I, I do that occasionally, mm-hmm. uh, with people who I have a lot of rapport with, we often I have moved towards kind of the power, power exchange sort of RPs. In which case, if you're in a power exchange, it's understood that you're determining the action. And so in that case, you can RP final actions because the sub is expecting the dom to just do whatever the hell he wants in that situation. So that's kind of a situation, but usually that's pre-negotiated, right? Like in that situation, I have relationship terms that indicate that that's an okay thing to do. And like, I can RP final actions, right? That's not something you would want to do on your first RP session with somebody you don't know well. Even if they are a submissive person, you can't, just because someone is submissive doesn't mean that they are your submissive or that they are submissive mm-hmm. to you. So you got to you gotta earn that and got to establish that rapport, that relationship. You can't just assume those things, right? Right, yeah. Again, I'm not talking, it's when I, when I give these examples, I'm assuming like, this is your first time meeting. Hey, I just met you and this is crazy, but I see you like to RP, so OWO, what's this? Like, you know, if you have an established rapport with somebody where you know their likes and dislikes, perhaps it is acceptable for you to have those kind of like, this is happening to you and you can't stop it sort of actions. Um, but if it's your first time, maybe be a little bit more cautious. Maybe don't go out of your way to do things to the other party or parties in the role play. Instead, just try to make sure that everybody feels that they're able to enjoy themselves and everybody has you know, the ability to interact. So, you know, that that's online role play, you know, just some general etiquette. I mean, it, it seems fairly basic, but the fact is, is that, you know, with, with a lot of these things only really come with experience and it's important to kind of have an idea as to what you should be doing and what you should look for and what you should look out for when you're looking for role play on the internet. And the last point I'll make on the online role plays too is that online role play is a great opportunity to practice uh, obtaining consent, mm-hmm. and we've kind of been talking about that the entire time. Yeah. But really, it's a great opportunity to, to begin learning how to establish a, an affirmative positive consent, where you're not waiting for a negative reaction, but you're actually pre-negotiating and you're establishing consent. What's what isn't is not okay to do. That's actually a really great thing to practice, and using mm-hmm. online role play to do that is a fantastic thing to do because it's going to make your in-person sex a lot safer and saner and better and more uh, consensual overall mm-hmm. too. And you're going to have less situations of regret sex and things like that, which are always really bad situations. So definitely do take advantage of that opportunity to establish affirmative positive consent. Right. Yeah. And so speaking of in-person like 
role play or scene play. Now, when we talk about this, we're talking whether it's you're going to dress up like an astronaut, she's going to dress up like a sexy Martian, and you're going to have some sex, like any kind of role play that happens in person, whether it has tinges of BDSM, whether it's just you're going to wear a slutty cheerleading outfit and he's going to be the football coach, whatever it is that you decide to do. There are also similar rules about it being appropriate and inappropriate, rather. So appropriateness, you know, when is it appropriate to have in-person role play? First off, you want to make sure that the scene is set. Like, if this is something that is happening in the bedroom, you want to make sure that it kind of stays in the bedroom. Don't have in-person role play of a sexual nature, like, in a public venue. Now... That being said, there are some public venues like sex clubs, BDSM dungeons, where fetish play or role play is expected or advertised to occur. Um, you might even extend that to, say, pride parades, where you see people wearing fetish gear that are kind of parading out, or you might see a little bit of nudity. It's to be kind of expected. It's kind of advertised like that. But it is appropriate when all parties involved are good giving and game. That means anybody that is there, whether they are watching, whether they are participating, all parties need to be in it to win it. And the activities that are being roleplayed need to be safe, sane, and consensual. There is pre-negotiation that is required for in-person roleplay. Now, it might be when you know somebody for a long period of time, you could just like on a whim, just be like, you know what? I'm going to whip out like the handcuffs and like, we're just going to like see where tonight goes. And that's completely fine. But again, that comes with an established bond that comes with knowing somebody, having pre-negotiated a dozen million thousand times before, and already knowing what their likes and dislikes are. So it may be implied that you know what the boundaries are, and you understand where you should go with that specific type of play. But if you are just meeting somebody, if you're still uncomfortable, pre-negotiation and enthusiastic consent are critical. And I would say that even if you know somebody really well, it is, it's never going to hurt if you're like, Hey, well, let's talk about what we're going to do. Are you okay with this? Are you okay with that? It never hurts to do a, like a pre-flight checklist. Like (laughs) it, it, it can prevent disaster where you think disaster isn't going to happen. Titanic was supposed to be unsinkable, but then it had an iceberg. And then it got kink shamed to like the ground of like the ocean floor. So don't be the Titanic, you know, be, make, make, make your kink time and your in-person like sex play and role play super awesome. So make sure that everybody that's there is like, okay with it. Like make sure if you're having like a role play in a room, for example, let's say you're at a convention and you share a room with other people, make sure that everybody's okay with that fact that like, You might come in and you might see my boyfriend strapped down to the bed and like me beating his ass with a flog. Like, just be okay with that. And if you're not okay, then maybe don't come into the room during this time to this time. (laughs) And, you know, make sure that your boyfriend's like, hey, other, some people might come in and watch. Are you okay with that? You know, make sure that everybody is on board with what happens. The more people that you involve in the scene, whether it's passive and they're just watching, or it's active and they're actively participating. Everybody needs to come to the table and agree to the same terms. That's what makes it appropriate, and if you aren't able to do that, then you really can't do that specific scene. You have to find a different way. 
Now, I do think realistically, there are some situations of implied consent, like sex at furry room parties that are of a sexual nature and things like that. There's some implied implied consent in those situations. We're not literally going to go around to everybody at a party and be like, hey, is it, sir, is it okay if I have just my <laughs> boyfriend in the corner? Like, is that, right. is that, you know what I mean? Like, that's not realistic. But so that's a situation where I think implied consent kind of does still make a little bit of sense. But you're not going to walk up to some random stranger at that party and start having sex with them. But it might be okay for you to have to have sex with your boyfriend without necessarily that's okay with everybody because if they've already agreed to be at a sex party, mm-hmm. presumably they've agreed to be at a party where other people are having sex, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it goes back to the idea, like, if you are at a time, if you're at a place where it is expected, let's say it's an underwear party where, like, you invite people and you're just, like, letting you know there's probably going to be sex and nudity here. Or just even groping, like, hey, yeah. underwear party groping's likely, right? Yeah, and if you show up, congratulations, you you are you are okay with that. The thing is, is that you do need to specify what should happen. And I have and in my in the um, editorial that I wrote about enthusiastic consent at conventions, I did talk about this, where you want to make sure that if you are invited to a party and you're unsure if it's going to be like sexual in nature, that you do ask about it. And if you are inviting people to your party where that is to be expected, you need to make sure that your invitees, invitees, Potential attendees are aware of the fact that, hey, at this party, people will be wearing underwear, and chances are there will be a lot of dirty, naughty touching. I hope you're okay with that, and if not, don't show up. It's cool. We can hang out another time. Yeah, this gets back to basically my favorite question that I've mentioned on the show multiple times, which is, what does that mean for you? Yeah. (laughs) So when someone says, I'm hosting an underwear party, that's a great opportunity to say, great, an underwear party, that sounds really fun. What does that mean for you? What happens at your underwear parties? Do they usually become sexual? Do people touch each other? Is it it kind of a hands-off thing? Like, what what are the expectations? Will everyone be in their underwear? Are people, you know, obligated to to, to take off their clothes? Is it okay if some people are, are, are actually still clothed? Can I bring someone? I mean, these are all... Wonderful questions to ask in that situation, right? Mm-hmm. But again, establish what the expectations actually are, right? Right. So another place where role play is not is not appropriate is when that role play, that scene play, steps over boundaries and enters into hard nose for people that are pre-negotiated. So let's say that a hard no is, for somebody is you may tie me up and you may jerk me off, but you may not finger my ass. The second that your finger starts fingering that butthole is the second that that is no longer appropriate. You have pre-negotiated, you have agreed to those terms, you are violating those terms. It's done. You are violating that person. You are violating their consent. You are raping them. That's it. So, if you pre-negotiate, and you should, and you both consent to an agreement of here's what here here is what we would like to do tonight. We may not get to all of them, but here is the list of things that we will do. Here is the other list of things that we will never do. The second that you go from the list of yay to the list of nay is the second that you are a shitty individual. It might be by mistake. And if it is by mistake, then you need to immediately communicate that. Yeah, but you, you might have just forgotten a nose. That does happen. Sometimes you have a long list of things that are nose, and you might just accidentally forget. And that's mm-hmm. that totally does happen. But then you need to be really gracious. Like, oh, I'm really sorry. I, that's my mistake. Are you okay? Do you want us to continue? Be gracious about it, right? But you cannot use that as an excuse for purposefully shitty behavior. Absolutely not. And people Do will not. see right through that. People will yeah. see right through that. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. Yeah, just like you forgot the other four times. Fuck off. So don't do that. That is why, especially like in BDSM, the, the idea of safe, sane, and consensual is so critical. Because you have to put implicit trust in these in, in, in your play partners. There is a high amount of vulnerability that occurs. So if you want to participate in scene play in person, you need to make sure that you are not violating anybody's vulnerability and you're not violating anybody's ability to consent to actions. Now, some places that you can meet people if you're interested in this, you know, there are lots of furries that are super interested and, and BDSM and scene play, you can probably find them on active, you know, after dark Twitter, and you can ask them questions. Lots of pops on Twitter are also fairly open about their scene play, and that's also a great resource if you're interested in learning more. But if you're wanting to kind of begin participating, BDSM clubs and sex clubs are a great place to start. There are lots of events that happen that you can go to learn and grow and meet people and start networking and learn more information because... Just like any kind of advanced sexual activity, you're not wanting to, you shouldn't want to go and you should not go from zero to like, I'm gagged and blindfolded and like, I'm hanging upside down in front of like 60 people that are about to like sodomize me. Like that's for some people that may not be for you. Take small steps and do it with people that you can trust. BDSM clubs are a great resource for that. There's also kink websites, things like FetLife and Recon. Recon, maybe to a lesser extent, but FetLife in, in general is a great place for people that are kinky, that have, I would say, minor to major fetishes to, to congregate in order to teach each other and also to meet up to discuss and participate in those activities. So, yeah, and Recon mm -hmm. is a gay kink app, basically. But people who are kinky also tend to be people who are into role play. Just there's a yeah. lot of overlap there. So, so I mean, if you're into like light kink, like I want to dress up like a sexy nun and bend over one of my Catholic school students and hit them with a ruler, I'm gonna punish you, boy. Like if that's what you're into, that's a great place to find it because there are plenty of people that are into that. Even if it's something like, I want to dress up like a sexy fireman, like, they're cool with that too. FedLife is a great place to meet people that are into really anything. And some of it's not even sexual. Some of it's just roleplay yeah. for the sake of roleplay. Like, yeah. some people actually enjoy roleplay, and that's there too, so. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's even personal sites. You have things like Pounced for the furry fandom, and also like OkCupid and Match.com. Yeah, there's personal. nothing stopping you from mentioning that you're open RP in those personal ads, right? And there was even a Dan Savage. Um, there, there was a on one of his shows where he was talking about a girl that strictly did role play with guys, and she wasn't as transparent. People like the guys that she was meeting on OkCupid thought they were going to meet up and like possibly get into a relationship. So if you do use sites that are not specifically designed for role play. As a venue for roleplay, make sure that you are very clear in saying, I'm just here to roleplay fantasies. I'm not here to meet up with people. Yeah, even Grindr you can use that way, right? Sometimes yeah. some guys just like to grind one out on Grindr, right? Where they'll, they'll go in for the fine local guys. They don't mm -hmm. even want to meet up with any local guys. They just want to find yeah. local guys they could potentially meet up with and yeah. dirty talk with them. But And if you're doing that, that's totally cool. But don't pretend like you're going to eventually meet up with them first, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know... Be transparent with everybody and everything that you do. You don't want to lead people on. You don't want people to feel like they 
you know, got had or anything like that. Make everybody feel like they came out a winner. You know, and some general etiquette with this is, you know, pre-negotiate. Again, if you have questions ahead of the scene, what does this mean for me? When you say this, what do you mean? Could you show me what this looks like? Could you show me what equipment you'll be using? Pre-negotiate everything. And never agree to anything that you are incredibly uncomfortable with or or uncomfortable with at all. If somebody is like, well, I'm thinking about tying you up and then, you know, putting a gag on you and then fucking you. Like, don't agree to that if you're uncomfortable with that. Like, you can say, like, well, let's take small steps. Maybe this time you tie me up, the next time you tie me up and then fuck me, and then the next time you tie me up and gag me, but don't fuck me. You, it's okay to do that. It is maybe one... the first time you tie him up and gag him, yeah. and you see how that works, right? Maybe that needs that. Maybe that needs to be yeah. the first step. Find ways, no. yeah. Find ways to make things happen and to happen in a way that is sensical safe, sane, and consensual. And keep in mind, there can often be a progression. You can ramp things up. It's always good to start small, right? Yeah. So, also, you want to pre-negotiate safe words and gestures. So, use words for your safe words that are completely not common. No is not a good safe word. No. No is a terrible safe word. Do not put no or stop or please as your safe word. I continue to use my favorite one, which is Republican. Chapstick is mine, for the record. Chapstick. Excellent. Because when you're having sex, you don't think, wow, my lips are certainly, wow, I could use some lip balm. Chapstick is great. You know, find something that is incredibly uncommon. Or use gestures. Let's say that you have a gag in your mouth and you're like, I need to stop now. Like, this is bad. Use gestures that aren't common. Like, clap three times in a row. Tap against, if you're on restraints, like tap against them several times in order to get attention. Find a way that you're able to communicate. And this is why pre-negotiation is good. This is why I recommend before you actually do the play, you get tied up in the restraints or whatever it is to see what range of motion you're going to have. So you can communicate effectively if you are gagged, if you are tied down, if you're not able to move that well. Find a means by which you're able to say, stop. Yeah, just pro tip, one of my favorite uh, safe gestures that I like to use is actually clench and unclench your forearm three times. Because the forearm muscle actually has very clear, when you, have, when you actually flex and, and extend that muscle, it actually shows really well. It's actually a really good um, safe word signal. And you can flex your arm pretty much in any position. It doesn't really require you to be in any particular position to be able to flex your arm. So it makes it for a very good safe gesture. So find a safe gesture that works for you and your partner and follow them. Follow them. I don't care if it pulls you out of the scene. They're meant to. Safe words are there to stop a scene because somebody is uncomfortable and it needs to end. And it's a very good idea to review them before the scene starts. There's no opportunity to say, I forgot what it is, right? Exactly. Never put yourself in a position to where you can forget. Review, review, review. That being said, this is something that I also enjoy doing. Slow words instead of stop words. Instead of, we're going to end here. Slow words are different than safe words because they indicate that you are okay with what's happening, but you're kind of like, okay, I I like you playing with my dick, but, and I'm enjoying it, but I'm going to get tired of it. So let's move on to something else. I'm approaching my limit is basically what yes. that means, right? So I'm approaching my limit for this and let's move on to something else. I still want the scene to keep going. So you can, slow words are really great. It just is a slowing of climax. Essentially. You don't want to get off yet. 
You want to keep enjoying yourself. So slow words are really great ideas. And also play with people that you trust. Asking other individuals and like if you're going to a local BDSM club, asking other individuals, hey, what are your experiences with this guy? What, what you know, is, is this somebody that you would trust? Mm-hmm. Finding word of somebody, mouth is great for scene play. Word of mouth, you know, it's not like there's really a Yelp for BDSM <laughs> protectioners. <laughs> but being with somebody that you know that you can trust and other people have full faith and confidence in goes a long way to ensuring that you are enjoying yourself and keeping yourself safe in any kind of scene that you're doing kinky or not. Magico, I kind of want to just take a moment and make some popcorn and imagine the idea of a furry sex scene review site. Oh, God. People can actually post anonymous reviews of different furries and sex with them. And I'm imagining the dramatic dumpster fire that that site would immediately become. And it, it, it almost entertains me enough to want to code that. But I don't know. Maybe someday we'll, we'll branch out Metrico into the rate your, rate your mersuiter, uh, com. I've, I've seen Black Mirror, and I know how that ends. So Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> <laughs> so let's not maybe quantify that sort of thing. But what you can do... And this just goes back to the idea of scene progression that we were talking about earlier. For on in-person roleplay, maybe consider starting with online and like do an online roleplay, see what people are like without actually being there. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I was getting at before, and I mentioned yeah. this earlier, is that online RP is a great place to start, even if your intention with a person is to eventually get to the in-person play. Because online RP is a great place to, again, you can do that thing where you kind of attempt a kink and see if they aren't super a fan. Because when it's online, you're still not... It's not going to be quite as traumatic for them as you like attempting to do it to them physically in person, you know, with your actual dick. So definitely start that way. That way you can establish, okay, they do like it when I do this. They do like it when I do that. They don't like it when I do this. They don't like it when I do that. And you can have that established going into it. So you're way more likely to have a fun scene when you actually get into the in-person stuff. Similar idea is, you know, when you're just starting out with a new partner, is have a first play session that is maybe dirty talk only. Don't necessarily, you know, maybe you just, you know, jerk each other off or hold each other while talking about all the kinky things you'd like to do to each other. That can be super hot and fun. And it kind of keeps some erotic tension going where you're not actually doing these things yet, but you're just kind of enjoying each other and still getting to know each other on an erotic level, right? So that can be super fun. And it's a really great way, again, to just kind of establish some familiarity, some trust, some intimacy to kind of figure out where the kinks are going to go and what's okay and what's not okay. And then you can move on to doing actual, you know, sexual play the next session when you finally, you know, start acting on things. And when you finally do start acting on things, uh, I really recommend starting out with a model that's like tell, do, tell. And that means basically tell the person what you're about to do to them before you do it and actually monitor them for both verbal and nonverbal feedback to what you, what you say before proceeding to do the thing you mentioned. Because if someone winces or tenses up, in certain situations, that could be a sign of excitement. And if the person is into pain play or is into masochism or is you know very submissive, maybe the tensing up might be a good sign. But in many cases, if someone tenses up or seems very uneasy suddenly when you mention that you're going to do something, it might be a sign that you actually need to talk about that or that you know something might something might be wrong. If they're getting really stressed out by what you're going to be doing, and, and you're not in a context of doing something very BDSM-y in that particular situation, it might be a sign that you need to talk about what you're about to do before actually just committing to doing it. Uh, otherwise, tell what you're going to do will actually build some excitement. So it, it works both ways. If they're not into it, you get a chance to abort. And if they are into it, you're building their excitement, making them anticipate what you're about to do to them, right? So I'm going to beat that ass. Okay. They kind of like, they kind of just wiggled and got excited. All right. Now 
You hit them. Awesome. They enjoy it. They, they moan and everything was great. Fantastic. So now you're monitoring them for verbal and nonverbal feedback again. They moan and they like it. Awesome. If they like recoil and are like tear up, then okay, damn, I shouldn't have done that. That was not what I was intending to do. So be careful with that. Make sure you're monitoring for the feedback at all times. And if you see the person's not enjoying themselves any longer, it doesn't, it, you're not necessarily going to completely ruin the mood by just checking in and saying, hey, is this okay? Are you enjoying this? You know, ask them for a check-in. Then they can maybe give you that the safe word if there's a slow safe word if they're feeling that way or maybe they tell you, I'm loving this. Continue. Go, you know, all full speed ahead. And by the way, for safe words, I like also like to use red and yellow. If, if I'm using like the yellow is a very good slow word. Um, I, that's one that I like to use. If you, you, people often like to use red and yellow for their safe word set. You know, red and yellow and green. That works really well. Stop and go. It's kind of boring and cliche, but totally works well. No reason not to use it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's the kind of scene progression. And then, you know, if the feedback you got was positive, it's totally cool to then tell them what you just did. Because that's actually a really nice way of kind of nightcapping the, 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 the scene. And then it kind of, there's kind of an erotic charge to narrating to somebody what you just did to them, too. So that can be kind of hot. So you can say, like, yeah, that's right. I beat that ass well, didn't I? You kind of engage them. You, you tell them, hey, you know, I just did this thing to you. Wasn't that great? They say, yeah, that was really great. And then you know, you've got that confirmation. That, you know, they really enjoyed this. This is something I can do in this in this kind of a scene. And you're kind of, again, you're building that rapport, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these are, that's a really good tip in terms, especially if you're newer or you're with a newer partner. It's a great way to build that rapport. It's a great way to build trust and confidence in one another. That can lead to a long-term play partner. So, you know, even even if you're, let's say, you're married and you're wanting to get into kinky role-playing, the entire do, you know, the tell-do-tell model is a great one just to build trust because you might trust somebody romantically, but I would say kink exists in a separate yet equal realm almost in terms of, like, romantic interest. It's it's kind of a different ballgame. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, you know, you're... you're, you're, you're when it comes to like graduate level, you're pretty comfortable. But when it comes to the postgraduate, you're like, uh, okay, babe, we need to work on this. So it's a great way to, you know, kind of build that trust in one another because, you know, you need to have trust in order to be comfortable when it comes to in-person scene play. Even if it's, even if it's silly, even if it's kind of ridiculous and you're like, wow, I never thought, you know, I would be into this and it's kind of ridiculous. At the same time, if you're not comfortable with yourself and you're not comfortable with your play partners, you're not going to have a good time. So these are just you know, general pieces of etiquette, do's, do nots when it comes to role play, both online and in person. This tends to be one of our most commonly asked questions. So we wanted to just dedicate a smaller, briefer show to it. So if you have any further questions, if you think that we should have covered something additionally, let us know because we can always do that in a future show or advice column. But for now, we're going to move on to our question. Um, our questioner, you know, has a subject, you know, wrote us with the subject. I'm losing interest in my boyfriend. Is something wrong with me? They say I'm in a long distance relationship um, and things started out fine, but I've noticed a change recently. I'm not as physically attracted to him as I used to be. He wants intimacy and sexuality fairly often, and as my attraction to him has waned, I feel like I can't satisfy him. What worries me the most, is, though, is that I still find myself attracted to other people, friends especially, just not my boyfriend. I thought maybe my libido had just decreased until I realized that the attraction to others was still there. 
To make it clear, I've cut out sexuality with others completely. It is a closed relationship. It's gotten to the point, though, where being sexual with my boyfriend feels like a burden sometimes. He wants naughty pictures every day, he wants me to be sexually playful all the time, and I just don't want to a lot of it. It's causing tension in the relationship, and I just don't know what to do anymore. Please help, I don't want to lose him over this. So it sounds like you guys might have some mismatched expectations going on, and I think you guys need to have an open and ask this conversation about expectations for the level of intimacy and the level of frequency of, of sexual connection that you guys both ex, you know, expect and want in their relationship. And you need to talk about that. If you feel like your partner's making demands on you that are making you uncomfortable and you feel like you're both frustrated and upset, clearly the status quo is not working for you guys. So that means you guys need to have a conversation, maybe retool a little bit. You know, you say you're monogamous and that your partner has a much higher libido. Well, we actually have uh, an advice column on our, our website about that when I check out. And I think we can link to that, too, in the show notes. But we definitely have a, a whole column devoted to addressing the issue of one partner having higher libido. And I would really encourage you to go to re- read that over. But another thing I would encourage you to do is just, you know, really talk about, you know, specifically what is it that your partner needs in order to feel, you know, satisfied in the relationship. You know, if it's long distance, maybe what you really need is, you know, maybe they don't actually need a, fl- a constant stream of pics and videos and, you know, flirty texts, but they'd love it if you show them your love in another way, maybe by uh, having a date night where you just both get together and watch the same movie online. There are websites that let you do that where you just, you know, watch a movie online. Maybe after that, you guys, you know, have a FaceTime session, paw off together or something. Maybe that would be more of a hit with you then they, the current thing that he's asking you for would be maybe you could find some kind of compromise where you're you're still showing your, your mate that you care, but it's not necessarily always sexual and it's not necessarily always sexual on demand the way that your uh, current partner seems to, to, to kind of want it from you. But if you make it clear why that bothers you and how it doesn't really work for you and then offer something else as an accommodation, your partner might totally go for that. They, they might often just, when someone's really craving sexual intimacy with you, they'll often accept another form of intimacy as kind of a tied me over, right? That's one kind of one thing you might want to keep in mind. And maybe the sexual mm-hmm. stuff only works for you better in person, or maybe you really, you know, online, your sexual energy really comes from NRE, and you have NRE with, other, you know, with your friends, and you're kind of excited by the newness of it. But then when that newness wears off, online sex can be really hard to maintain in a, a long term relationship. It's something that I find as well. I really enjoy RPing with new people, but like, if you ask me to like go RP with one of my boyfriends right now, I'll be like, ugh, I guess I could. Like, and that's like someone I'm really attracted to. And if I, they were here in person, I would be all over them. But it's like I just I know they I know them sexually so well that we would basically just be doing a repeat scene. And it's like, well, we've done that one before, but let's do the pseudo rape scene again, right? Like, it's kind of like it kind of becomes a little bit rote. And that's the thing with RP. It kind of is a little bit dependent on adding new partners occasionally because that's I think where the excitement in RP comes from. RPing with someone you've RPed with a billion times can feel like rereading a, uh, or you know watching Star Wars for the eleventh time, right? It's it's comfortable and it's 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 nice, but it's not, nothing new is going to happen, right? So keep that in mind. It might just be that you know you still love your partner and you'd love to have sex with him if he was in front of you. Maybe the, the RP or the the online stuff's wearing off in terms of its appeal, and you still have that appeal for other people online because they're new, and so it's the newness that just wore off. And that's something you should keep in mind. But if you feel like you're just like totally not into your partner anymore, then you might have to talk to your partner about that and say, hey, you know what? I used to feel a spark for you. I don't know what happened. I just don't anymore. I think we should probably see other people. That in that case, you need to be breaking up with your partner, not just leading them on, right? So. I understand not wanting to lose a partner over that, but most people aren't going to sign up for an an asexual relationship. So you need to be honest and transparent about that because most people do expect sex to be a component of the romantic relationships, right? 
Right. So one thing that, you know, I would recommend that you also do is identify what kinds of intimacy that you yourself enjoy. Because again, with this being long distance, it's important that you identify what your needs and your wants are in a relationship. And you find ways that your your mate brings those needs, brings that intimacy to your life. It sounds like you two just need to have that really candid conversation about what his needs and wants are and what your needs and wants are to set those expectations in order to ensure that both of you are getting what you need out of the relationship. And if you can't reconcile those differences, then unfortunately the best method is going to be to say, well, we either open the relationship up or we just completely see, you know, other people. And maybe you stay friends in that case. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't have to be the end of, a friendship it just is an end of you know you guys dating and maybe down the line when you're closer you can possibly see each other more in a romantic light again but maintaining a relationship over long distance and handling the falling out of an re is incredibly difficult so the two of you just need to have a conversation you're afraid of losing him more than likely he doesn't want to lose you either the thing that you need to do the most is the thing that is often the most uncomfortable. Have this conversation. And his neediness for sexual attention might be reflecting a fear of him uh, losing that connection with you. So basically, you're both just really afraid right now. And we always say on the show, don't act on fear, right? right. It really just boils down to both of you are kind of acting on fear right now and being afraid to talk to each other. Just talk to each other and really talk about what it is you need and want from each other. And that's going to solve pretty much this entire problem. Exactly. So thank you for your question. I hope that you have this conversation with your mate and you're able to find some form of a resolution or some form of a plan with them in order to continue your relationship in a healthy fashion. We're going to go ahead and close our show, though, for the week. Again, we wanted to do a shorter show, so please, if you have feedback, if you thought it was a little bit too rushed, if you like our expanded show, if you prefer this format, please let us know. Hit us up on our contact page at feralattraction.com contact. So many ways to get into touch with us anonymously. If you want us to know who you are, you can tell us anything. Spill your secrets. Tell us what you dream. We'll tell you who you are. We're going to have a good time with it. Or if you have questions about next week's topic, which is accepting love as a damaged individual, that's where you can find us. Next week's topic is going to be a little bit, you know, more of a personal one. Because, you know, for me personally, I come into life and I've been through a lot of really negative experiences. So for some people, they view that me as being damaged goods. How can you reconcile a negative experience within your life or a series of negative experiences and learn to accept love from other people? It's a show about vulnerability and trust and acceptance. It's going to be a good one. If you would like to support our show, feel free to give us a rating and a review on iTunes or Google Play. If you're able to support us financially, please consider being a patron of ours on Patreon. We have different donation tiers, and one of them does allow for shoutouts at the end of every show. One such patron is Snares. Snares, who has a Patreon of his own for Meteor Showers. He also does amazing commissions at furaffinity.com. Uh, furaffinity.net. I don't know what furaffinity.com goes to, but it is definitely not. Dot yeah, net. Don't do that. Um, his username on Fur Affinity is Furious, like the emotion, like anger, furious, and amazing, beefy, muscly, fabulous art. 
Zarpalas is an author who recently published a short novel with Thurston Hall Press titled The Pride of Parahumans. You can go check it out on Amazon if you're so inclined. And it's speculative fiction, high-tech sci-fi of anthropomorphic individuals that are in space and rebel against their creators and go forth to seek their future in the stars. Feel free to give it a look and consider being a patron of his work at patreon.com slash Finally, if you are interested in, you know, something a little bit on the lighter side, perhaps, little, you know, pictures and daily red panda dog ramblings, consider following Myron, Myron on Twitter, at Myron the Fluffy. That's Myron the Fluffy on Twitter.com. We're going to end the show for the week here. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Metrico. And I'm Fear of the Science Tolly. Be well. <laughs>